You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I have a terrific guest and former Washington safety, Matt Bowen, who appears on ESPN's NFL Matchup show. We talk about a lot of things, what he thought about Washington's young defense, notably Chase Young and Montez Sweat, what he thinks Washington needs to do to take the next step. We did chat a little bit about quarterbacks, but I'll explain a little bit more of that later. And what Bowen also thinks about whether or not Landon Collins could make a switch to linebacker. I will add this, in the past, Collins has been against that move, but it does keep coming up with a lot of you fans, and so I asked Matt Bowen what he thinks the transition would be like if it ever happened. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBowen41 and watch him on the Matchup Show. It's a great way to learn, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. Before I get to my conversation with Matt, I had a few nuggets to share. Washington was definitely in on Matthew Stafford and offered what it felt was a strong deal compared to the Rams. It would have given Detroit a better pick this spring, the 19th overall. My sense is that Los Angeles had to sweeten the deal more to get Detroit to take Jared Goff's contract. The Lions' new GM also just came from the Rams, so it was easy to complete the deal, and he, of course, knows what they're getting in Goff. I don't know if this takes him out of the quarterback race. I would not assume so. It's going to be hard for them to cut Goff for the next couple years. I think what he does is he goes to a team where the GM knows him, knows what they have, and it gives them the ability if they don't get their guy this this uh, draft or this you know in the draft that they can wait another year to get a guy because they do have a legit starting quarterback now, a very expensive one though. As I was told by one person here, this deal for Detroit does give them future assets it can use to maneuver in the draft. And they did get two more picks. They got two first-round picks and a third plus golf. And again, I think they got more because they took on that contract, which Los Angeles desperately wanted to unload. And of course, the 19th pick would have helped this year for Detroit as well. I'm not sure what else Washington offered, but there's no doubt they felt it was, at worst, competitive with the Rams. Washington will keep pursuing quarterbacks and does believe a handful will be available that would help them. It's hard to find guys like Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, but they can certainly improve at the position. Even if Alex Smith wants to return, I'm told Washington will still do will excuse me, will still do their due diligence on other quarterbacks. For what it's worth, I do think Smith will want to return. But there's also no doubt that they like Smith and if they can't find another quarterback, they can roll with him and, and perhaps add one in the draft to develop. I'd be surprised if they got one at 19 to be honest. It's a tough spot to land a quarterback, I think. Um, I think at that spot, you're looking at offensive line, possibly receiver, very good draft for that. Um, and again, it depends what they do in free agency. So there's a long way to go with that. I don't, you know, they could also trade back. I mean, all sorts of scenarios. Or, and, and that's why I think what they'll do instead of drafting a quarterback there, I think what they'd start to focus on, if Smith does come back and they can't find another one, 
build out the offense and talent, and then pursue a quarterback next year. They like what Smith has to offer, both as a game manager and a mentor to a young quarterback, whether those on the roster or ones they could possibly add. The key for them will be deciding if Smith can remain healthy for a full season. The bruised bone that he suffered late in the season led to some concern about how he'd hold up over 16 or 17 games. And to make it clear, they don't know yet where it's going to go, but they do want to keep doing their due diligence. So even if Smith does tell them he wants to come back, then I I think that they're still going to look at guys and make a decision later. Anyway, watch on Smith later. Um, Anyway, Washington's brass will be meeting about a lot of these topics including that one over the next couple days to go over the roster as they start to make decisions regarding futures before free agency. It's also a chance for Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney to start working with their new folks. And also keep in mind, we're going to be meeting with Mayhew and Herney and I think Ron Rivera in a Zoom conference call on Wednesday. So tune in or go on to ESPN.com on Wednesday, see whatever they have to say. Anyway, when I spoke to Matt Bowen, we had not yet heard of the Matthew Stafford news or even Deshaun Watson's trade demands. You tape them when you get them, folks. We actually did talk for a few minutes about Stafford, but because it's now irrelevant, we some of it you just cut out because it just doesn't matter how he'd impact Washington because he's not coming here. So, But there is still some other stuff to talk about with him, a lot of other stuff. As for Watson, the Texans have said they have no plans to trade him, which is why it's hard to actually see this happening as we sit here now. I spoke to someone in an NFL front office who thought there was no way it would happen. If he does indeed become available, heck yes, they should be and would be interested. It could take four first-round picks. Now, there was one report I saw Sunday where they said you know several first-round picks, a couple second-round picks, a couple players. Well, right now, if you're Houston, you're going to shoot from the moon. Okay, you want them? Well, it's going to cost you a ton because we don't want to trade them. But if you're willing to pay this price, okay, here you go. So obviously it's steep. But if it's only picks, in the, if it gets down to it where it's truly serious and it's only picks that Washington has to render, keep in mind a few things. Washington already has a lot of youth on the roster and a very good defense that they can still keep building around. And they would have some money to spend in free agency. Quarterback like Watson with that defense, another piece on offense, or a receiver, a lineman, this team should contend for more than just an NFC East title for a few years. That means the highest of those four picks would be the 19th pick that they'd give up this year. That is, of course, if it all goes well. And as you know, that doesn't always happen here. That, of course, is the risk. To get a quarterback like this, you are going to have to take some risks unless, unless you were able to get him in the draft a few years ago. Of course, Houston would look at it the same way and it would want something more than the 19th pick as their best um, and first uh, choice. So who knows? And and then it depends because um, Watson has a no trade clause that let's say the Jets were wanted to trade the number two pick. But if Watson doesn't want to go, doesn't want to go there, he can just use the no trade clause. So, you know, and it's, it's a little bit of a beggars. Can, can beggars be choosers? Well, they can when you have the no trade clause. But Houston does not have to trade them, and they could take this for a while, and there will always be a demand for Deshaun Watson. It's different when this situation would be different than when Washington traded for Robert Griffin III back in 2012. First off, Watson is proven. So you're getting a guy that you know what he's going to be like in every facet. Secondly, Griffin joined a team with older players, especially on defense, so the trade and then the subsequent loss of salary cap room due to that cap penalty cost them any way to improve after Griffin's rookie season. They definitely felt more handcuffed. And I do think, in hindsight, had they known about the cap penalty that that was going to be coming down, I don't think they would have made that trade. 
Anyway, they did, and then the combination of the two, losing first-round picks and the cap penalty, prevented them from really making a lot of moves that could help them over the next couple years. Washington does have youth and will grow and can still sign players. Plus, they won't be able to keep all... Keep in mind, Deshaun Watson signed for the next five years. They won't be able to, Also, Washington won't be able to keep all those defensive linemen, so it is possible that one of those tackles, if they're not involved in, this tra- in, in a trade could be flipped in a year or so for a high draft pick if you don't think you're going to be able to sign them all, which would be hard to imagine. But I don't think we're yet at that point where Houston will definitely trade them. So Matt and I really didn't get into too much of that. I do think it's clear that Washington will be aggressive if there's an opening. Finally, the last item. If you've listened to me since November, you know I had long felt that Kyle Smith would be leaving the organization. And recently I told I had told you that he would indeed be leaving. Now he has, taking a similar job with Atlanta as their VP of player personnel. They also got rid of three scouts, including Jeff Scott, who, like Smith, had been given a promotion a year ago. All four had one thing in common, Bruce Allen. And I know the feeling by some is that owner Dan Snyder simply wanted to cut ties with Allen, who was close, remains close to the team's minority owners, who, of course, are trying to get Snyder to sell either sell the team or buy, and they're certainly selling their shares because of a spat with him. That it just, it's not a, it's not a good situation. And again, with Allen still close to them, there is a feeling by some there that this is Snyder's way of saying, I just want to move on from Allen completely because I can't stand the guy anymore. And these guys are reminders of them. So here we are. But I was also told by someone else that, yeah, it did have to do with Allen, but it was as simple as wanting to go in a different direction and that while Smith and this group was respected, Washington also hasn't built a consistent winner in a long time. So they turned to a couple guys who have been around for a while. And you can, whatever you think of it, that's this is where it goes. And now I will say the drafts led by Smith were a key reason why Ron Rivera wanted the job in the first place. So the situation really is kind of odd a little bit. Um, but it does. It did get Rivera somebody in Mayhew and and her, someone that he respects, and has been with multiple organizations. Has been in that job, and and Marty Herney, whom he obviously has worked with and respects. So we'll see. I know some people who had been here could see this coming a long time ago. Yes, it's a risk, but I was told that by multiple people, it wasn't even a case of them not liking one another. Rivera and Smith worked well together. There were no blowups. They did seem to like one another. It came down to, again, wanting to move on from the previous regime. Pretty much simple as that. Some of these moves were nearly made last spring, but Washington held off. Anyway, Washington had drafted Wellner Smith, who created an organized group coming off the Scott McLuhan situation. He was, Smith was highly respected by those who had worked here. He did have other options besides Atlanta. Is this a big mistake by Washington? Possibly. But as I always say, see where it goes from here. They had they had a they were gonna let him go and they had a plan to replace him. We'll see if it works. If Mayhew and Herney are effective, then Washington will be okay. Mayhew is is in his mid fifties. He could be here for for he could be here for a decade, really. So and then they also have Eric Stokes in the pipeline that they'd like to groom. And I my guess is he's gonna get a little bit of a promotion soon, I think. Um, but um, you know, if not, he's someone that they want to groom. They did, however, and we don't know how long Herney's gonna wanna do this. He's 65. May, it may only be a couple years, but that's where I could see someone like Stokes then, you know, moving into that role eventually. What I do know is they did lose a good young executive, and a guy like Scott did a lot of different roles for the organization 
Um, he was an analytics analytics guy. He was, you know, um, just there's so many. There are a lot of different things he did. He he was Eric Schaefer's former assistant. So you know, it's hard to lose guys like that. I do think they're going to replace them, but it is hard to lose guys like that. Um, they still have Tim Gribble in, as a college scouting director in, or in personnel. Um, yeah, Gribble's the college scouting director. Mayhew has been prepping for the draft, but he was doing so to find players in a different system. Still, his eyes have been on college players too. And Herney loves going to college games. I do believe he was still doing that this season for Carolina before he was fired there. So this is not an ideal situation, but it's not an impossible one. And there's, been, there's a lot of knowledge that still remains. Well, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Matt Bowen. What did he have to say about rookies Antonio Gibson and Cam Curl? Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Matt Bowen. Well, Matt, before I get to the Washington stuff and maybe in a little of the Super Bowl, you have a season coming up now for high school football, correct? We do. Uh, obviously, we did not play in the state of Illinois in the fall for obvious reasons here. And but we are going to get a spring season. Now it's going to be a little different. There's yeah, not going to be a say. there's not going to be a state playoff, and you know that that is obviously the ultimate goal when you're playing high school football is to get to the state playoff and put together a run. But at this point, John, and given the landscape we're in right now, um, I just want the kids back in the field, and I think the kids need to be back in the field. And I'll be honest, I need to be back in the field, John. Yeah. Okay, I do. One of the reasons I got into coaching, and I've said this publicly before. Is because I wasn't doing the best without football in my life. And it's different. People say, well, you're breaking down the game. I understand that. I'm writing about football, talking about football, um, analyzing the X's and O's. I get that. But I wanted to apply it somewhere, okay? And I needed to be in, a, in, a, in an environment with like-minded people who speak the same language as me. And for me, the only place you can get that is on, in a competitive environment on the field. So that's one of the reasons I got back into coaching, and I missed it this year. I did. I mean, it did affect me mentally. So it, it's it's huge for our kids to get back in the field. It's huge for myself and our coaching staff and our players' families just to have, uh, you know, some sense of normalcy and playing football again. And it's going to be a six-game season. We're a player conference schedule. Um, I'm excited for our seniors, and, and that's the number one thing. Yeah. I'm excited for our seniors. They get to put a helmet back on one more time, you know, and play six Friday nights. Now, it's going to be cold now. <laughs> you, know, it's a, you know, spring in Illinois isn't really spring, okay? Uh, as anyone who's ever been to a Cubs game or a Sox game in April, it's not really spring. Uh, you're, you're basically dressed like you're going to a Bears game. So uh, it'll be cold, but, <laughs> hey, you can run inside zone in the cold. You can play cover three in the cold. So we'll be fine, man. It's just a – I can't wait to see the kids' faces when we get back on the field and, and just, you know, start doing DB drills. Just, just be together again, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny because especially when you're in high school, and for most of those kids, this is their last chance to get any to play. For a lot mm-hmm. of kids, I just remember the most miserable year of my high school existence was when I missed my sophomore year of football because I had torn some cartilage and had surgery, and I had to miss the whole year. I was miserable to be around, and I'm you know so like I can't imagine for somebody who if you lose that year and then you think you're going to lose the entire year and you're healthy, you know it's just it's. We all know what's going on and it's awful, but it's still, it affects kids in so many ways. So I'm glad that you're going to get that chance and I hope it goes well. So, 
Um, anyway, turn into the NFL and, and the Washington football team. And, and I don't, you know, how much you were able to watch them. And I'm just curious what you thought of the team in general, what you saw down the stretch from them. Well, I think they're one of the most well-coached teams in the NFL. That's the first thing. I think Ron Rivera and his staff did an excellent job, uh, especially with, you know, the, what they had at the quarterback position this year. Um, and some of the adversity they went with, uh, with injuries, with making changes, uh, multiple players playing the position. Alex Smith coming. You know, the Alex Smith story is awesome. And you know, I tell my boy, I have, you know, John, I have four boys. That was a big talking point this season with my boys is look at the courage he has. I mean, he's a warrior. Look at this guy to come back and play football at that level and to be productive at that level. The game that stands out to me, and I think the game that kind of swung the season for them in getting to the postseason was that that Monday game against Pittsburgh. I think it was a yeah. Monday or Tuesday. You know, I can't even remember at this, this point. But you talk about a team that battles. To me, that's coaching. That's coaching. That's character in the building. Um, that's a, a type of identity you're building with your football team. And look, we know the NFC East this year wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't the top division football. I, I don't care. You, you win your division, you get a ticket to the dance. And then when they went to the dance, I thought they were competitive against Tom Brady and Tampa. Did they win the football game? No, but they were competitive the whole time. Now, obviously, there's any team that goes into an offseason is going to evaluate their roster. And that's the nature of the NFL business. Where can we upgrade? Where can we create more competition? Where can we get better? And that's going to happen. But this team this year, especially the defensive front, one of my favorite defensive fronts in football, I think you put them up there with Pittsburgh, with the Los Angeles Rams, with Tampa right now, what you're seeing, what they're doing with their defensive front. They have players up there that are impact players. I love the development of Chase Young this year. And the reason I say that, if you watch his tape earlier in the year, John, there's still a lot of college elements to his tape. What do you expect? When Chase Young played in the Big Ten, one of the best conferences in America, he could win based on high-level traits, athleticism, speed off the ball. But when you get to the NFL, that works, but you got to have some counters. You saw him use speed to power. You saw him use those traits to dip in the bend on the edge. But you saw more active hands, more violence at the point of attack, which you need as a defensive player, especially a pass rusher in this league. And you saw that over the second half of the season. You said, okay. This looks like a top five draft pick. This is what it's supposed to look like. And I thought, again, that's, you know, a credit to the player, but also, John, a credit to the coaching staff and their ability to develop Chase over the course of the season. <clears throat> I love Gibson. I love watching him. I think he's a dynamic player. And I'm, again, it keeps going back to the same thing, right, John? A development, because when Gibson came out in the draft, you know, the, that was a key term for him. How do you develop him? How do you get him going? Um, what position does he play? Is he a slot guy? Is he a running back? Can he can he motion out of the formation and create matchups? Well, I think he can do all of that. I think he can do all that. And you saw that his his pass game numbers dipped a little bit at the end of the year, but that's because you have McKissick too. But I think Gibson is a weapon. And what impressed me the most was his running traits and being able to run inside and outside zone to find daylight, like to bend the ball back, to bounce it to the edge, to run through contact, to show contact bounce, and again. In the open field, he has dynamic traits to his, to his game. So there are pieces there where I think you have to obviously improve. It's one the quarterback position. What's the answer there? Because this team is very close. It's very close. Are there any other quarterbacks out there? Let's say because there's going there will be competition for Stafford. I mean, sure. they're you know, and it, like the Colts are in a good spot. There are other teams in a, in a spot where they are going to probably make a run at him. Are there any other quarterbacks you're out there and say, well, if they can't get him, if this guy's available, 
and realistic ones. If this guy's right, available, then you can go get him. And I don't know that Deshaun is is really a realistic target at this point. But I would agree with that. I would agree. You don't know that for sure yet. Okay, so let's look at some of the free agents. <clears throat> Jameis Winston's a free agent. Correct. Jameis Winston right. is a free agent. Jameis has, you know, some of the same similar traits we're talking about: the movement ability, the ability to play off off schedule, that high level second reaction ability. The arm talent to push now. If you're a very aggressive thrower, now with an aggressive thrower, there comes situations where the ball gets turned over. We understand that. Um, Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton will be a free agent. Andy Dalton's got movement traits to run boot, to run sprint. Uh, more quick intermediate thrower. Got enough enough arm to attack down the field, but not an arm like Stafford or James Winston. Tyrod Taylor will be a free agent. Tyrod's got movement skills, so it's a great deep ball down the field. A veteran guy who understands the game can process well. In from the pocket and outside of the pocket. And then you start looking at, okay, if we're not going to go to the veteran free agent market, do we make a deal? Is Sam Darnold going to be available? Maybe. Maybe. Sam Darnold has first-round traits. Do you do you believe as a coaching staff in the front office that if you put him in your building with the type of culture you you have already installed in just one year in Washington, with your offense, your play calling, and again, with a defense that can create stops and turn the ball over for you, the Sam Darnold fit there. Now, what's, what would Sam Darnold cost? I would think he'd probably be a two and then probably a five next year. That's what I think. So, I mean, those are some options. Um, what about like a guy, because I get asked too about Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, because if, mm-hmm. o- if Oakland, if the Raiders do something, then right. is, is one of those guys available? And would do you like either one of those guys? And, I'm, and I, when I say like too, because when you're making a move at this, they're having to, they're looking at a guy that can then can close the gap to a title, not mm-hmm. just a guy who's a little bit better than what they've had. No, you're 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 making a move there to win a championship. There's no right. question. There's no question. And it starts obviously win the division title first and then you move on. But um I really like Derek Carr this year. And I think he he transformed his game. And Derek Carr was much more aggressive, much more willing to cut it loose. And I think that's why they had offensive offensive production. Uh, and they went out and, and they added pieces. That's what John Gruden and Mike Mack did for Derek Carr this year, John. Think about it. Right. They got Nelson Aguilar, okay, who looked like a completely different player in that offense. They went out and got Henry Ruggs. Now, you might say, well, Henry Ruggs only produced this amount of touchdowns and catches. Look what the film tells you. Look what Henry Ruggs does opposing defense, how it opens up throwing windows. Derek Carr's got really good movement traits, high-end arm talent. I think he battles. I think he is tough. Um and like I said, this year, his game, in my opinion, transformed a little bit where they became more of a vertical throwing offense, especially off of play action. That's what John Gruden wants. You know, John Gruden, it's no different than, you know, 2004 FedEx Field when we were playing right. Tampa Bay back then. The right. offense hasn't changed very much, right? It, it's, they're going to run power. They're going to run trap. And they're going to attack you vertically down the field. That's what they want to do. Uh, Mariota, you know, you only saw him play what? That one game this year, that Thursday yeah. night game, the yeah. second half against – uh, the Chargers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good. That was a really good game for his resume. Now, yeah, I thought he played phenomenal, and I thought John Gruden did an excellent job, kind of uh, adapting that game plan. Right when Marcus got in there, you saw more quarterback design runs, you saw more movement passes. That's what Marcus brings to you, because he has higher end movement traits than any quarterback we're talking about right now in terms of quarterback design runs and using his athletic skills within within the scheme of your game plan. Um, th- those are two guys to look at, which, you know, th- th- and that's the thing. What if this happens? 
And I know we're all speculating, but that's right. the great thing about the off season. You're allowed to do that. Got months of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I hear from anybody that I talk to around the league is if you don't have the quarterback, then you're, then you're, you're not going to maximize this window of opportunity. And no, and that's a great point because you're going to have to start paying those defensive linemen. Too, correct. Right. That's the, that's the big thing with Washington. We can talk all about this stuff. If you don't have a quarterback that wins now, your cap's going to be impacted eventually. And you're going to, you want to keep that, that defensive line intact because, like we just talked about, it's one of the top five defensive lines in the National Football League. And that Im- impacts everything you do. If you're a defensive coordinator and you have guys up front who have disruptive traits in the interior of the defensive line that can rush off the edge, hey, you want to play cover two? Play cover two. Quarters, cover three. You, you can be a zone-based team, which I believe Washington wants to be, yeah. based on their defensive personnel in the back end. You can do that when you have guys. Wait to the Super Bowl. Wait to the Super Bowl and, and watch Tampa. Now, Todd Bowles can go a totally different direction. We know Todd Bowles is going to bring pressure, but I think they're going to play a lot of coverage against Mahomes. Why? Because of Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, Vea's back, and the Dominican Sioux. That's why they can play coverage because of those four guys up front. And Yeah, and, and I also I like watching the Todd Bowles defense. I always have. What about Mark? Because Montez Sweat, too, another guy. Mm-hmm. We talk about, a lot about Chase Young. Montez Sweat really took a nice step in his development. What did you think of him? I really liked him. I did because just in terms of the measurables, what he brings to the field, he's got length. He's got size off the edge. He's got bend off the edge. Very flexible edge rusher, which you need, plus that length. And here's the thing. When you're, when you're game planning against Washington right now, which way are you going to slide the protection? You know, that, that's the tough part. You know, opposite – we do it all the time on matchup. And, you know, it's kind of hard to describe protection schemes without looking at TV. But let's say you get five guys up front, John. One side's probably going to be a three-man slide where the center goes, right? So the backside guys are now one-on-one. And that's what you want to do. And that's how you can scheme. A great example of that this year was Brandon Staley out in L.A. and how they moved their fronts, tilted fronts, odd man fronts, overload fronts. The reason they did that was to get one-on-one. So that's what you're trying to do. Tampa will do the same thing in the Super Bowl. They'll try to get Barrett and Pierre Paul in one-on-one. Schemed one-on-ones we can also do for the interior of your defensive line. That's what we saw with Donald a lot this year. All of a sudden, Aaron Donald's one-on-one with versus a guard. Hey, man. We saw that all game. That. We saw that all game when they played. I know. I watched Washington. That. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And they were using those and against Washington. They were using some of those five-man fronts. Yeah. Walk up a linebacker. Well, you have to count the linebacker protection. You can't just not count a guy. Well, someone has to block that linebacker. And if you, even if he doesn't come, you, you, someone has to account for him. You know, it doesn't come in the blitz. Someone has to account for him. Well, now you got one-on-ones elsewhere. Um, and that's what, when you have guys like we we're just talking about up front in Washington, you can do that. And Washington will also pressure, too. You know, Greg Cosell, my teammate at matchup, did, uh, you know, two or three pieces in the Washington defense this he year. Did. Those were good. Uh, you know, with Holcomb and Cam Curl blitz. Yep. You know, getting free runners to the quarterback. So that defense, <clears throat> that defense can play. What, what do you think to, to get to another level with that defense? What is needed? Uh, a post safety. I think you need a, po- a post safety with range, ball skills. They can stay on top of routes. They can impact the middle of the field. That can close the gate in the middle of the field. I always call the, the post safety the gatekeeper to your defense, right? Um, and if you're going to play single high coverages, which we know Washington will play cover three at times, you, you need a, I think you need a high-end post safety. 
to complete that defense. And, you know, Landon Collins will be back next year. Um, you don't know what the injury um, – you never know with an Achilles. An Achilles for a defensive back and an offensive lineman are tough because you're moving backwards, right? Right. Moving backwards all, all the time, all the time. That's where you start. Uh, you know, I tell my DBs at the high school level, you should be able to backpedal home from practice, right? It should be right. a natural movement from you. You'll be able to backpedal from class to class in the hallways. It becomes almost like your 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 dominant movement. Um, so with Achilles injury, that's tough. But I thought Cam Curl played pretty well this year. He did. You know, and he played really well for a late round draft pick. He shows urgency, and that's that's the biggest thing for me, John. And I haven't started studying the draft prospects yet, and I will after the Super Bowl. But do they play with urgency? When I think of urgent players in the National Football League in the secondary, Buda Baker, Jamal Adams, uh, Gardner Johnson from the Saints. Guys that just, they play at a different speed. Okay, they play at a different speed. And those are the guys you want to coach, too. And sometimes that gets them in trouble, okay, because they play so fast and so urgent that they see something, they're going. Okay, and some, sometimes that gets them in trouble. But as a coach, you're okay with that. You're okay with that because you know nine out of ten times they're going to make the right play because they play so fast and that sense of urgency. And I call that an uncoachable trait. Either you have it or you don't. And you have to find DBs with that, whether it's a strong safety, a quarter safety, or a post safety. Guys that have so much urgency to their game that they become disruptors. I like Cam Crow a lot, too, partly because – I felt he played very smart. I felt like mm-hmm. he was usually in the right place. And because, you know, it's funny, Matt, because you know this, like there's sometimes just by being in the right place, you get no credit for the play itself if it if it if it's a negative play, but your ability to be in the right place at the right time forces a decision to go somewhere else that may lead to a negative play. And it's almost like a the hockey assist, right? That you know, because you did your job, somebody else does makes a big play, and there's nothing in the stat page for you. But man, does it stand out when a guy can do that? And I felt like he did that very well. In addition to being, you know, good at some other things, but I felt like being in the right place at the right time took plays away from the offense um, all the time. No, I agree, and I've been in that situation, especially as a when you're a safety near the box and a guard pulls and he's going to bury you and, and drive your face mask in the ground yeah. and it's going to hurt. And <laughs> you do it though, right? So, so the linebacker can scrape to the ball and make the play. All right, and those are the, the assists you're talking about. Jonathan Allen had a bunch of them this year. Yes. A bunch of them. A bunch of them, both the run and the pass game, where it didn't show up in the stat column, but maybe it was a twist on Jonathan Allen is now occupying two. Here comes Chase Younger. Here comes Sweat wrapping inside off a stunt to get the sack. All right, so those are the assists you're talking about. And you got to have those as a defense. You have to have guys that want to do the dirty work. You have to. You have to. You know, guard poles near safety, they get, you know, drop your pad level. So you don't get thrown off the field, but drop your pad level. You're going to get run over, but close that gap so your linebacker can make the play. With Landon Collins, because, again, he will come back. Now, you're right. We don't know what form he's going to come back in because of the Achilles. And Cam Curl did play well there, and they view both of them as strong safeties, um, the big nickel, and and then in Collins' case – they do feel the traits could translate to linebacker. That doesn't mean he'll. Pl- they're going to move him. But right. I know that his traits. They feel like his traits are strong safety, big nickel, or linebacker, or or an outside linebacker. How hard? Again, for people listening, I'm not saying they're moving him. I'm just telling you that the, they feel like the traits translate. 
So before we get to that point, but I am curious from your end because people always want to move guys around. If he can't do this, let's move him over here. Right. How hard would it be to go from playing in the box as a safety, as a strong safety, to going to a full-time outside linebacker? It's much easier to move down. And what I mean by that, instead of moving backwards, okay? It's, it's, it's a, in my opinion, it's a challenge to move a linebacker to safety. There you go. But, okay. but if you're moving a safety down, okay, that, that's an easier transition. I'm not saying, it, I'm not saying it, it's magically going to happen. It's going to be perfect. But that's a e- much easier transition to move down. Now, I do think this. You can never have too many DBs, okay? First of all, you can never have too many DBs because, one, that's your special teams units as well. Right. But in, ter- in terms of your sub packages, and if a healthy landing counts with a cam curl, can they both be in the field at the same time? Sure they can. When you have five Big and nickel. six de- Yes. When you have five and six defensive backs in the field, you can never have enough. Ask Bill, ask Bill Bell checking the Patriots. They play dollar. They got seven right. DBs out there, okay? So you can never have enough of these guys. One, because of the traits they bring in the game, their ability to play in space, their ability to match in coverage, their ability to drive top-down on the football. And I think that's what Landon Collins gives you. He is good in space underneath. He can match the tight ends. He can drive top-down the football. And he can impact the run front, and he can blitz. So those are all the things you need at that second level in your sub-packages whether it is a linebacker or whether it is a hybrid, which I think we're kind of getting at here, yeah, a, hi- a hybrid li- linebacker safety who is utilized as a versatile player in your game plan. So can they both be there? Sure. Now, who starts in base? <clears throat> that's why you have training camp. That's why you have competition. And that's just how it is. And like you said, we, we have to see where Landon is uh, coming back from a very severe injury for a defensive back, see where he is. But if he is healthy, that, that's a positive for your football team. Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 that's what you want. You, one, you want competition. I think Ron Rivera would love competition at every position, if possible. Um, that is a positive, to have more defensive backs, guys with game experience, and guys that have produced on tape. And that's what they will have with both Curl and Collins. And I and I think ultimately one would probably be the big nickel because they do put an emphasis on that. And that guy will play a lot, too. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that makes you then if you go out and get a what I always say, a legitimate solution as a linebacker, somebody who plays it, knows a position and all that. Then I think it makes your defense better off if you can find that guy, because now you have three guys on the field that you think are good. And, and that big nickel is a is a key thing for them. So how did you view Alex Smith? And, you know, I mean, because like when I look at him, great story, underestimated him the entire way, came back, did well. But I'm not sure going forward, you know, for this team, if they can really survive with him at quarterback to get to where they want to go, unless you're taking a guy in the first round. But that's that's a crapshoot now because picking 19th, you have no clue who's going to be there. Right. And I think at 19, uh, you're not going to get a starter. Uh, I just think, you know, the way we all, John, we both know how the draft works. Right. If you have a quarterback on a big board right now that's ranked 15, he's going to go in the top 10. It's the quarterback position. They all go higher than we anticipate. And teams move up to get them as well. So I agree. Drafting at 19 and the team right behind them, Chicago Bears drafting at 20, they need a quarterback too. They're both in the same same boat, so to say, and, and talking about what they're going to do at the quarterback position. Alex Smith, I think Alex Smith is a <clears> – <throat> what you saw from this year is some of his traits from a veteran quarterback that you anticipate, that you expect, that you welcome. One is the ability to manage the pocket. You know, uh, in terms in the great quarterbacks we watch right now, you're going to watch one uh, next Sunday in Tom Brady, the ability to manage the pocket, 
be able to move, keep plays alive, be able to reset their throwing window once they slide or step up. Uh, processing abilities off the charts, off the charts. When you watch Alex Smith play, his ability to put the ball where it needs to go, his ability to get from one to two with speed and work backside to three to four if he has to. You know, what, what you didn't see, John, was a vertical element to the pass game. Right. And I think that limited them. And, and, and that's the number one thing we're talking about while, while we discussed Stafford earlier in this discussion is with Alex, you just didn't have that vertical element down the field. And that, <clears throat> what that creates is you have to put longer drives together. You have to be oh, not perfect, but you have to be very high level in terms of your offensive execution to work the football down the field. And you need guys to make plays after the catch. Now you can do that. We saw that consistently with Alex Smith this year when they can get guys loose in space and they can create explosive plays that way. But having a vertical element to your offense, just think about it from a defensive perspective. You know, I've, I've said this all year on matchup when we break down the Buffalo Bills that Josh Allen can stretch you vertically whenever he wants to, whenever he wants to. That was a big part of their offense this year, Brian Dable and Stephon Diggs when John Brown was up, Gabe Davis. They can stretch you whenever they wanted to. So as a defensive back, that is always in your mind. I said – I was talking with someone before – and they're not the same in terms of their movement traits, but that reminded me uh, during my time of playing against Drew Bledsoe in terms of the arm talent, the vertical yeah. stretch ability, that if you played cover two at 15 against Bledsoe, no, you can't do that, John. You had to get to 18. All right? You had to get to 18 to give yourself mm-hmm. a chance. And I think that's what Washington needs, is to be able to stretch people. Not What I'm talking about here, John, I'm not talking about throwing 50 deep balls a game. I'm talking about stretching teams vertically down the field to also open up those intermediate throwing windows. Sure. And you saw that a lot from Buffalo this year. You know, I call it a dagger concept. It's a clear out from number two. You put speed at number two, get the safety out of there, and you take number one in a deep end break. Well, there's your window, right? There's your window. And you, and then you ta- that's how you attack vertically, those that 15 to 18-yard window in the middle of the field. And I think that's, you know, one area where they have to improve in terms of attack vertically, but also scheme vertically down the field and threaten vertically to get those defensive backs moving backwards. Just a couple more questions. I appreciate your time as always. How much more dangerous would that make Terry McLaurin to have a quarterback can do that? Not so much because he can, because he does have speed, but you mm-hmm. talk about those dagger concepts too. I mean, he's, he's really good at getting over the middle as well. So how much more dangerous could it make a guy like McLaurin to have that sort of a passing game? I think it would bring more upside to his game. You'd see more of his traits. You would. And he'd be more of an explosive play weapon for you in the offense. And when I talk about explosive plays, John, the way I look at that is over 20 yards. You know, right. an explosive play run is 15 or more. Explosive play pass is 20 or more. So, again, we're not talking about 70-yard throws down the field. We're talking about getting chunk plays. And a chunk play in the NFL is 20 to 25 yards. That's two first downs. And, then, and I've said this before, it's hard to get first downs. That's, that, that's why you play. You have to get first downs to extend drives to score points. You get 25 yards in a pass play, you just picked up two first downs. Okay, it's a good thing to have. And also what you're doing then is, again, you're going to have to add more elements at the wide receiver position. But if you have a quarterback with that vertical stretch ability and that arm talent, now you're pushing te- teams down the field vertically. You're opening up those, I call them those second-level windows where now you just start working the ball in the middle of the field and moving. Did you like, I got two more then. 
did you like the offensive concepts with Scott Turner this year? And I, sometimes it can be hard to judge because a lot of it depends on who is a quarterback, what you I agree. they can run. But I am curious in general what you saw from the offense and Scott Turner in general. I did. I did like the offensive concepts. There's no question about it. I thought they were high-level route concepts. I thought they occupied defenders, created space underneath. But that's what they wanted to do because of what they were, because of what Alex brought to the field. That's what they wanted to do. So what would adapt now? I think you take the same offense if you have a quarterback with more arm talent, and then you build out that route tree to make more vertical concepts down the field where you can attack more. Because right now you look at the vertical concepts, a lot of them were fade balls outside. Nothing wrong with throwing fade balls. There's nothing wrong with that. But can you get vertical concepts where now you're scheming deep windows and cover three attacking the outside third? Or where you're occupying a corner and quarters and going to work on a safety and throwing a deep post or a skinny post. Those are the things you want to add more to your offense. And then the last question I have, because this is we do have the Super Bowl coming up. So and to me, this is a great matchup because there's so many things like what what Tampa does well is applying that pressure. What Mahomes does well is beating pressure. Mm-hmm. What intrigues you most about this matchup? Well, I think it's up front, okay? And the reason I say that is Kansas City has a depleted offensive line. They've had a lot of injuries. Now they're going to go into this game with two backup tackles, basically, because Fisher's out now, too. They lost Schwartz earlier in the season, so you're going with your number twos at the tackles. And I think that's one of the matchups to watch is JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Shaq Barrett versus those tackles. Can they scheme and create isolation matchups outside? Because the way to rush Patrick Mahomes is to squeeze the pocket from outside, and have your interior guys almost like two-gap and rush up the field. You want to keep them inside because we know Patrick Mahomes is going to move. Right, He's going to move. He's got elite second reaction ability. He's got elite arm talent. And sometimes Patrick Mahomes will move when he doesn't have to because he can. And that's the best example I give to people. Why, do they, why does he do that? Because he can. Because he is such a special and unique talent that we haven't seen very often in this league. So that's one matchup. The other matchup is flip, flip over the interior of the Bucks' offensive line versus Chris Jones. Now, Chris Jones is one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. He's long. He's got power. He's got disruptive traits. That's a matchup to watch there. Um, I, and, and I've always said this, John. The key to that defending Kansas City, we obviously know Mahomes is, is unique. We know Tyreek Hill is one of the fastest players in the NFL. Same with Hardman. What's your answer for Kelsey? To me, that is the key to that offense. What is your answer for Kelsey? What are you going to do? Because if you play man, what's your matchup there? Not only do you have to match his physical traits, you have to match his route running ability his, uh, and, and also his ability after the catch, you have to tackle. What I did see on the Week 12 tape, and I think this is going to happen, more teams have done it to Kansas City this year. The Raiders did it in the one game they won at Arrowhead. Is you play quarters because this is why. Kansas City, three-by-one sets. We know that John in three-by-one yeah. sets, Tyreek Hill and Hardware are going to be number two and number three to trips. Robinson will be at number one. Kelsey's at backside X. So I call it quarters lock. And you play quarters. Why? Because you lock the backside X receiver. That means you are man technique within a zone against that backside X who happens to be Travis Kelsey. That allows your safety to press front side. And what you do there is now you can squeeze the verticals down the field. You get two over the top becomes a bracket on that, that deep seam or the deep over that Tyreek Hill loves to run and Andy Reid loves to call in his offensive system. And that looks great on paper, right, John? We're talking about it. Right. But you still got to cover Kelsey yeah. backside. Yeah. So who is that going to be? I think it'll be Carlton Davis, their corner. Carlton Davis is one, six two corner, uh, press skills, physical at the point of attack. He's got to win on the release. 
He's got to, he's got to limit that separation ability of Kelsey because that backside, they're going to run fades. They're going to run comebacks. They're going to run inbreakers. They're going to run curls. You have to take those away. That's one key to that football game. I'm looking at the other is slot pressure. We don't talk about, we don't talk about the KC defense and Steve Spagnuolo enough. We don't. That's a good defense. Yeah. We obviously know, but we mentioned Chris Jones, Frank Clark off the edge. Breland, who you know, Breland is a physical press corner. Sneed, the rookie, has, I mean, really turned it on. Juan Thornhill, who had an ACL last year, looks like he's got juice back right now. He's playing with juice. Downhill on the ball, making plays, a lot of on-the-ball production. We obviously know about Tyron Matthew, who, again, back to our earlier discussion, has uncoachable traits. One of the best playmakers I've seen in the last 10 years in, in the National Football League. But what they do with their pressure. Now, Spags will heat you up with zero pressure. That means, look, we're sending everybody. We're coming after you. And you will see that at times versus Brady. I think they had five snaps of zero man back in that Week 12 game. But the slot pressure and how they disguise the slot pressure. Sneed has had a sack in each of the playoff games off of slot pressure and what they do behind it. They are excellent, John, with late movement in disguise. They are excellent. They will spin that secondary to places you don't even know where they're going. And all of a sudden, Tyron Matthew drops in the middle of the field as a robber. And they'll also play what I call quarters match. And they will send five. And that fifth rusher is usually Sneed off the edge. Can they get home to Brady with slot pressure? Can they disguise it enough to get a free runner at Brady? Because if you don't disrupt Tom Brady, I don't care that he's my age. If you don't disrupt Tom Brady, John, he can still dice you up from the pocket. You give Tom a clean pocket, whether in the dropback game or especially off a of play action. That's another thing to watch. Tampa Bay, when they have two tight end personnel on the field, they call it 12 personnel in their play action game. But if you don't disrupt Tom Brady, forget about it. He can, he, can, he can still light up any defense. So disrupt Brady, bring slot pressure, late movement in disguise, and protect the middle of the field. You look at the identity of this Bucks defense, which I thought really developed over the, really the last stretch of the season throughout the playoffs. It's in-breakers, John. Right. That's why they want to throw the football. They want to throw the deep in-breakers to Mike Evans, to Godwin. They want to throw over routes and seams to Gronk and Cameron Bray. That's where Tom wants to throw the football. That's where he's always wanted to throw the football. So you have to take that as way away as well. So look, I could talk about this for an hour, John. But um, you know, it, I think it is a very good matchup. I, I really think it is a good matchup because the other part is Todd Bowles. When does he bring pressure? Now, I would not send five and six at Mahomes. I, I just wouldn't, and that's just me. Maybe Todd Bowles doesn't. I think you'll see it in certain times. I call it situational pressure. So, okay, we're going to blitz. When are we going to blitz, John? And probably on third downs, right? So, but but when is it third and two to six? Right. Or is it third and seven to ten? When are we going to bring our pressure? When are we going to play coverage? Are our guys up front? Can I scheme those guys enough? Or look, I don't have to bring a lot of pressure. Because if you miss a tackle against the Kansas City Chiefs, it's time to strike up the band, man. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a touchdown. That's a touchdown. Look, back in week 12, I think Hill had, what, 260 or, or some crazy number. Uh, 260 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Um, they went after single high coverage. They got a deep shot versus cover two. They schemed him on RPOs, which is a big part of Kansas City's offense now, throwing the RPOs and throwing the quick glance routes or slant routes to Hill. Um, but you got to take away that vertical element. You have to. And that I always go back to that Raiders scheme. It was early in the year. I don't remember what week it was. But everyone always asks, what did, what did Las Vegas do? They said they played quarters and cover six. Cover six is quarter, quarter, half. At times, they locked the backside X, pressed the – press the free safety to the front side to squeeze those verticals. And they played alignment, assignment, 
and responsibility. That's what they did. So when Patrick Mahomes gets out of the pocket, John, if I'm coaching a second-level guy, whether it's a linebacker, a dime back, uh, a strong safety, don't run up to the line of scrimmage. I know you want to, but that's what he wants you to do. Right, absolutely. Patrick Mahomes isn't moving to run. Patrick Mahomes is moving to throw. That's what he's doing. He's moving to throw to get you out of your zone, and then he can throw it from any platform. He doesn't. His feet don't have to be set. They don't have to. He can throw it going backwards. I'm going to show a play on our, our, on our Super Bowl show for matchup. John, he's backpedaling <clears throat> like a defensive back and just just drives, you know, throws a laser to the middle of the field for a 20-yard gain. I'm saying, what is this? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. What is this? But, again, when he starts to move, which he will, this is going to be a big part of this game, is Patrick Mahomes moving. When he moves, can you play assignment sound football as a zone defender? Because that's going to be a huge part of this football game. Because if you don't, then he's going to find Harvard. He's going to find Hill, Robinson. Kelsey. I mean, he's keeping naming names, right? Because they're so loaded offensively. And the thing about Kansas City is they're almost like an NBA team. You, they can go on runs that you've never, you just don't expect. Look at the other night. <clears throat> Buffalo's up 9 nothing. Go back to the divisional game against Houston last year. What is it, 21, 24, nothing? And then he's yeah. going these runs. It's like watching the fourth quarter of an NBA game. It, 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 yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, what does what is, what is rip off three touchdown drives in a row? And guess what? Those touchdown drives don't take a long time with them either. No, they do not. So, you know, I, I'm going to pick Kansas City. Um, for ESPN, we've got to make our picks. I'm going to pick Kansas City. Uh, and obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a big part of that. But really, the reason I'm picking them is because of Spags' defense and because of their ability to heat up Brady. And, and you brought up the slot corner, too. They do like to bring that pressure. And, again, sometimes that guy is creating pressure or making a, helping somebody else make a play just by his presence coming off from the slot. I also like balls. What I like, too, is that they don't always have to pressure with an extra defender because the way he's bringing his blitzes, they're creating overloads on his side, and it's getting you one-on-ones on his side, but you're maybe anticipating two guys over here. They're not coming. They're dropping. Here comes an extra guy on the other side. And that's he's great at disguising that, too. And so that's why I'm looking forward to this from an X's and O's matchup. And this is why, folks, as Sal Pal always says, this is why you got to watch the NFL matchup <laughs> show. That's always, that. I think that's my favorite part of the show every week when he does that, because he'll do that. And it's and it's it's and he's right. It's right. You and Greg are fantastic. So, you know, I've got to get you maybe an Ohio State helmet for your background. But you know, it's <laughs> never gonna happen, John. No, I'm guessing that wouldn't. I'm guessing that wouldn't make it. But you know, anyways, it's it's great stuff. And again, this is why I love talking to you because I always learn, and I think people do as well. So, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you, John. Have a good day. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matt for joining me, and thank you as always for listening, folks. I always appreciate it, and I don't take your listenership for granted. There will be a lot going on in coming weeks, so there remains a lot to talk about. I'll have another episode Thursday. I'll talk to you next time.